Hello and welcome to this GCP short produced in collaboration with Spring Consulting Group on the journey and evolution of a mature captive. Alongside friend of the podcast Karen Landry, managing partner at Spring, I'm delighted to say we are also joined by Carol Duong, Senior Risk Analyst for Subaru of America. Subaru originally formed Pleiades Insurance Company, a single parent captive in Bermuda in 1988. And over the next 50 minutes, we will hear how the captive has evolved with the group, writing third party risk and employee benefits, and ultimately moving onshore. But first, we begin with Carol telling us about her role at Subaru and involvement with the captive today. Sure. Uh, Luckily, when I joined Subaru eight years ago, the captive was already pretty established. I am involved um, with the investment committee as well as the underwriting committee. I also work heavily on the casualty renewal. Um, That includes our auto physical damage, auto liability, general liability and workers compensation program. Fantastic. So um, going back to the very beginning, which obviously predates your involvement with with the captive, uh, Carol, but I believe you've been doing some homework. Um, <laughs> when when and where was Pleiades Insurance Company formed and, and what was its original purpose? Pleiades was formed in 1988 in Bermuda. It was formed um, because of the hard market in the uh, late 80s. Um, we had a number of insurance problems and obtaining insurance, but the most problematic was the uh, fleet business. The insurance companies kind of call it an uncontrolled risk because we were allowing employees to drive our vehicles. We were allowing marketing partners to drive our vehicles and insure them as well. So we couldn't get insurance, so we formed the captive. And so, um, Karen, obviously, we're going to hear in a moment about the kind of real evolution of the captive over the following 30 years or so. What differentiates the approach, do you think, Karen, of these successful mature captives that perhaps isn't the case uh, with those that don't last the test of time? What, what is the key to, to captives remaining relevant? Sure. So staying the course is probably the number one aspect of keeping a a captive relevant because as markets change, you want a captive that can be part of your repertoire to provide solutions um, when coverage is either unaffordable or unavailable. So looking at a captive as part of the solution set that risk management has is an important thing about keeping it relevant. Always checking whether or not the risk would be more cost-effective, efficient, or provide uh, broader coverage every year during renewal time is also something that we see companies looking at, mature captives looking at, to make sure it's relevant. Being flexible, uh, in other words, providing broader coverage. We had during COVID a number of captive clients that found that flexibility uh, critical. And you know, lastly, adding value to uh, the company and the overall transaction, you know, is an important component. You know, again, thinking back to COVID, some um, needed additional uh, cash flow for the organization, and there was a way to leverage some of the capital and surplus in the captive uh, to accomplish that. While others wanted to provide broader coverage uh, for risks that they couldn't really encourage, they couldn't get in the marketplace. I think all of that, when you have a mature captive. Uh, that's been there, seen that, 
uh, is important to keep it alive and well going forward. So, Carol, it seems like one of the kind of major cornerstones of the Subaru Captive, which was added later on, is, is the third-party risk in the form of auto warranty business. How, how do you rate the success of of those programs, and, and do they remain in place today? Yeah, the auto warranty business uh, has been very profitable for us. Most insurance contracts, you know, it's a one-year contract, but the auto warranty, it's the contracts range from seven to even ten years. So we're obtaining the premium and we're not paying the losses until later in the contract. So we're earning the money before the claims are paid. And our loss experience is very um, profitable as well, just because of uh, Subaru vehicle longevity. Um, The issue, though, is that because it's remained so profitable, the retailers or dealers have looked at the program and we've had to launch a retailer reinsurance program a few years ago where they are obtaining the profit you know obtaining the profits and we're administering the program and charging them a fee it's not quite as profitable but it keeps the retailers in the program and sell the Subaru warranty product it's kind of interesting because you know with a cap you know with a captive you have two hats you have the insurance company hat and you have the company hat um, what's best for the company and what's best for the insurance uh, company. Yeah, that's really interesting. And of course, we talk so much about captives giving the insured or the parent a lot more control. And that's a really good example of because the cap- captive was right in that business, when when that issue came up, you could be flexible and change the way it worked. Whereas I imagine if, if you were kind of white labeling that kind of warranty program out to the commercial market, that would be a lot less straightforward to, to arrange in, in that way. Karen, we, we hear a lot about third party risk at the moment, particularly uh, and more captives wanting to get involved. Carol has just outlined a great example of how it's been beneficial to Subaru in, in numerous ways. What impact and benefits do you see the addition of, of such third party risk programs having on single parent captives? Yeah, so in addition to what um, Carol just said, I think um, risk diversification and minimization of potential minimization of volatility is a big benefit of having a third party risk. Uh, the fact it could be profitable is also a benefit to the organization. Carol mentioned the ability for uh, the corporation to share r- risk um, or profits with business partners is another added benefit. Um, one of the third-party risks that Subaru has in their captives, but they put life insurance in their captive, and that's third-party risk. When we applied to the Department of Labor, it simplified the process because they had enough third-party risk in the captive that we didn't need to, to complete all of the aspects we normally would with a DOL filing because of that third-party risk. So it simplified it. Yeah, that's also increasingly relevant at the moment as we, as we do hear about more captives rights and employee benefits. And and I am aware of you know uh, more captives about to do some of those Department of Labor filings, Karen, as I'm sure you're aware as well. So Carol, in 2010, uh, Subaru used a branch captive in uh, Washington, D.C. to go through the Department of Labor process, uh, as Karen just mentioned there, and reinsure group term life benefits. Um, how did that process and, and the addition of, of that uh, life risk change the profile of the captive? It added slightly more third-party risk to the captive. Um, it's been very profitable since 2010, but it didn't really change the profile that significantly. You know, it was another opportunity f- um, for us to use the captive. It's a very predictable line of coverage. So it, it was a good opportunity to show um, Subaru, you know, the captive's worth. 
And so, Karen, then, what, what has made you think you've, you've had oversight of the, the Subaru EV program uh, over the past 11 years? What has made that program a success, do you think? Sure. I think that it's been a success uh, because it's kept the Subaru premiums initially level, and then the premiums decreased to the plan participants because of the success that Subaru had in containing costs. It's also minimized the needs to change uh, carriers. They've had the same partner since uh, the beginning. So they've saved money over the course of time. It's allowed for a rate reduction to plan participants. They didn't have to change vendors. And uh, it's been relatively low upkeep for the internal staff as a result. So, Carol, to move us a bit forward to closer to present day in in the journey of of the captive, you the Subaru redomiciled the captive from Bermuda to Arizona in two thousand and nineteen. How do you continue to ensure that the the captive stays relevant and valuable to the organization, and and how is its role communicated to the wider group? Well, well at the executive level, the captive is pretty well known. It helps that the captive um, is very profitable. You know, when, you know, March of 2020 hit and we were unsure of the business, you know, the first thing the president asked is, was if we could take a loan from the captive and we had researched it. And, you know, in the end, we didn't end up taking the loan, but, you know, that was top of mind as a uh, possible solution. As far as communicating it to the wider group, um, we are in the beginning stages of providing more education um, to employees of the company, of the captive and premiums, the line of businesses, you know, for example, uh, loss control to the parts warehouses. You know, when we discuss workers' compensation claims, we make it known that it's not the insurance company's money when there's a claim, it's it's Subaru's money. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you mentioned briefly there the pandemic, and it's interesting that those conversations were had regarding uh, a loan back, and then it, it wasn't it wasn't executed. I've heard lots of stories of of that from other captors as well. The pandemic then it was was a new challenge that hasn't obviously arisen in, in the captive's lifetime or the company's lifetime before. Did it have any direct impact on the captive, or did you place any new lines or provide any additional support from the captive to the parent as a result of the pandemic? We didn't add any new lines. But we definitely researched um, the you know new lines of business. You know when the pandemic first hit, a lot of the auto shows were canceled, and for the first time we were looking at event cancellation insurance. Which obviously after COVID, you know they introduced the uh, illness or pandemic exclusions on those lines of business. Yeah. So we had uh, briefly looked at adding that line of business into the captive. But with all the volatility, it didn't make sense just because, you know, there was no real risk transfer. It was either coming out of the captive budget or the marketing budget, the event cancellation costs. Yeah. And then so obviously you've been doing that research on on new lines, obviously not going forward with some of them, but uh, just looking to the future, are there, I, I presume it sounds like you're, you're pretty proactive in terms of exploring what other uh, coverages or, or lines of insurance a captive can be uh, providing. Uh, are there any new lines or changes in deductible layers and capacity which you have in mind for the future? Not right now. You know, we're always looking at the market and if, you know, a particular line of business is challenging we'll look at increasing our deductible and if it makes sense to put in the captive we just haven't seen these savings versus higher deductible yet in the market but it's something we're always looking at um also changes to the business um you know we're now exploring supply chain in the market and if that's not available you know it's something that we're looking to put into the captive but we're still in the beginning stages of that 
but it's something we're always looking at it. Um, you know, we're trying to formalize our underwriting committee um, to kind of meet on a quarterly basis and look at what we're buying and what we can put, put in the captive. And I guess that's one of the, the real benefits, Carol, of having a, a profitable captive, I presume, with a strong balance sheet is you do have that maneuverability and flexibility to, to enter the market if, you do, if new, new needs do arise. Sure. Karen, uh, just lastly then, I mean, Carol's kind of outlined some of it there perfectly for us in terms of their uh, flexibility to explore new lines. What, what does this case study tell us about best practices and, and the importance of, of captives staying relevant to their parents and, and continuing to involve? Well, I think there are a number of uh, lessons learned. Um, one of the things we haven't mentioned is that there's an excellent working relationship between the risk management and the benefits area. Uh, they collaborate. It's not competitive. And therefore, you know, some good results have ar- arisen as a result of that. I think um, always uh, it's always good to prove your worth to the parent, you know, and, and reassess things as you go along. Since captives hold a lot of reserves and cash it help, and helps organizations save money, sometimes you need to re-educate and articulate that, you know, to the, to the various uh, stakeholders. Under the, you know, as a result of uh, reassessing things, it really should be done broadly. You know, is the captive taking on enough risk? Does it have too much risk? Does it have enough capital? Can it go back into the commercial market? I think those are all the sorts of things that mature captives look at, including, you know, what domiciles should um, should they be located in. Carol mentioned that they re-domesticated from Bermuda to Arizona, and that's a really good example of them kind of rethinking the marketplace had changed when they were in Bermuda. There weren't a lot of domiciles, but as uh, most of us in the captive field know, there's been a proliferation of U.S.-based domiciles. And just keeping your mind open and reassessing things on a regular basis, I think, is one of the best practices that keeps captives uh, relevant. By having a captive as part of your toolkit, you in, improve upon the insurance competitiveness in the in the market uh, because you always know that you you could take on the risk if you needed to, and you can fill in gaps in in programs if you can't find coverage in the commercial marketplace. Yeah, and I think Karen, that last point is really interesting, particularly around re-domiciling and, and constantly reviewing because. Obviously, Karen, at the moment, we've just, you know, in the last couple of years, we've hit a hard market. And I know that lots of captives that were maybe in, in the process of maybe about to be run off or about to be closed down, they have become less relevant. Suddenly, the insurance manager wants to reactivate them, don't they? And so if, if, if people were staying on top and always keeping their captive relevant, you wouldn't have that kind of last minute rush to do such things. Absolutely. And we've seen it with some clients recently where uh, they had, you know, a line in runoff thinking about closing it. And now all of a sudden, because the market's hard, they've started to put things like property and other liability lines uh, into the captive. And all of a sudden, it's really helped them uh, maintain a robust insurance program for their organization. Well, thank you so much to Subaru's Carol Duong 
and Karen Landry of Friends of the Podcast's Spring Consulting Group for a well-articulated narrative and perspective on a mature captive's journey and continued relevance and value today. If you would like to find out more about either of our guests or Spring Consulting Group, please do visit globalcaptivepodcast.com and check out our Friend of the Podcast and Guest pages. In the meantime, stay safe, stay well, and see you next time, captives.